Section nine of Utopia by Sir Thomas More, translated by Rafe Robinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Of their journeying or travelling abroad, with divers other matters cunningly reasoned and wittily discussed. But if any be desirous to visit either their friends dwelling in another city, or to see the place itself, they easily obtain license of their cyphergrants and tranibors, unless there be some profitable let. No man goeth out alone, but a company is sent forth together with their prince's letters, which do testify that they have license to go that journey, and prescribeth also the day of their return they have a wagon given them with a common bondman which driveth the oxen and taketh charge of them but unless they have women in their company they send home the wagon again as an impediment and a let and though they carry nothing forth with them yet in all their journey they lack nothing for wheresoever they come they be at home if they tarry in a place longer than one day then there every one of them falleth to his own occupation, and be very gently entertained of the workmen and companies of the same crafts. If any man of his own head and without leave walk out of his precinct and bounds, taken without the prince's letters, he is brought again for a fugitive or a runaway, with great shame and rebuke, and is sharply punished if he be taken in that fault again he is punished with bondage if any be desirous to walk abroad into the fields or into the country that belongeth to the same city that he dwelleth in obtaining the good will of his father and the consent of his wife he is not prohibited but into what part of the country soever he cometh he hath no meat given him until he hath wrought out his forenoon's task or dispatched so much work as there is wont to be wrought before supper. Observing this law and condition, he may go whither he will within the bounds of his own city, for he shall be no less profitable to the city than if he were within it. Now you see how little liberty they have to loiter, how they can have no cloak or pretence to idleness. There be neither wine-taverns, nor ale-houses, nor stews, nor any occasion of vice or wickedness, no lurking corners, no places of wicked councils, or unlawful assemblies, but they be in the present sight, and under the eyes of every man. So that of necessity they must either apply their accustomed labours, or else recreate themselves with honest and laudable pastimes this fashion and trade of life being used among the people it cannot be chosen but that they must of necessity have store and plenty of all things and seeing they be all thereof partners equally therefore can no man there be poor or needy in the council of amorot whither as i said every city sendeth three men apiece yearly as soon as it is perfectly known of what things there is in every place plenty and again what things be scant in any place incontinent the lack of the one is performed and filled up with the abundance of the other and this they do freely without any benefit taking nothing again of them to whom that thing is given but those cities that have given of their store to any other city that lacketh requiring nothing again of that same city 
do take such things as they lack of another city to the which they gave nothing so the whole island is as it were one family or household but when they have made sufficient provision of store for themselves which they think not done until they have provided for two years following because of the uncertainty of the next year's proof then of those things whereof they have abundance they carry forth into other countries great plenty as grain honey wool flax wood madder purple dyed fells wax tallow leather and living beasts and the seventh part of all these things they give frankly and freely to the poor of that country the residue they sell at a reasonable and mean price by this trade of traffic or merchandise they bring into their own country not only great plenty of gold and silver but also all such things as they lack at home which is almost nothing but iron and by reason they have long used this trade now they have more abundance of these things than any man will believe now therefore they care not whether they sell for ready money or else upon trust to be paid at a day and to have the most part in debts but in so doing they never follow the credence of private men but the assurance or warranties of the whole city by instruments and writings made in that behalf accordingly when the day of payment is come and expired the city gathereth up the debt of the private debtors and putteth it into the common box and so long hath the use and profit of it until the utopians their creditors demand it the most part of it they never ask for that thing which is to them no profit to take it from other to whom it is profitable they think it no right nor conscience but if the case so stand that they must lend part of that money to another people then they require their debt or when they have war for the which purpose only they keep at home all the treasure which they have to be holpen and succoured by it either in extreme jeopardies or in sudden dangers but especially and chiefly to hire therewith and that for unreasonable great wages strange soldiers for they had rather put strangers in jeopardy than their own countrymen knowing that for money enough their enemies themselves many times may be bought and sold or else through treason be set together by the ears among themselves for this cause they keep an inestimable treasure but yet not as a treasure but so they have it and use it as in good faith i am ashamed to show fearing that my words shall not be believed and this i have more cause to fear for that i know how difficultly and hardly i myself would have believed another man telling the same if i had not presently seen it with mine own eyes for it must needs be that how far a thing is dissonant and disagreeing from the guise and trade of the hearers so far shall it be out of their belief howbeit a wise and indifferent esteemer of things will not greatly marvel perchance seeing all their other laws and customs do so much differ from ours if the use also of gold and silver among them be applied rather to their own fashions than to ours i mean in that they occupy not money themselves but keep it for that chance which as it may happen so it may be that it shall never come to pass 
in the meantime gold and silver whereof money is made they do so use as none of them doeth more esteem it than the very nature of the thing deserveth and then who doeth not plainly see how far it is under iron as without the which men can no better live than without fire and water whereas to gold and silver nature hath given no use that we may not well lack if that the folly of men had not set it in higher estimation for the rareness sake but of the contrary part nature as a most tender and loving mother hath placed the best and most necessary things open abroad as the air the water and the earth itself and hath removed and hid farthest from us vain and unprofitable things therefore if these metals among them should be fast locked up in some tower it might be suspected that the prince and the council as the people is ever foolishly imagining intended by some subtlety to deceive the commons and to take some profit of it to themselves furthermore if they should make thereof plate and such other finely and cunningly wrought stuff if at any time they should have occasion to break it and melt it again therewith to pay their soldiers wages they see and perceive very well that men would be loath to part from those things that they once began to have pleasure and delight in to remedy all this they have found out a means which as it is agreeable to all their other laws and customs so it is from ours where gold is so much set by and so diligently kept very far discrepant and repugnant and therefore uncredible but only to them that be wise for whereas they eat and drink in earthen and glass vessels which indeed be curiously and properly made and yet be of very small value of gold and silver they make commonly chamber-pots and other vessels that serve for most vile uses not only in their common halls but in every man's private house furthermore of the same metals they make great chains fetters and gyves wherein they tie their bondmen finally whosoever for any offence be infamed by their ears hang rings of gold upon their fingers they wear rings of gold and about their necks chains of gold and in conclusion their heads be tied about with gold thus by all means possible they procure to have gold and silver among them in reproach and infamy and these metals which other nations do as grievously and sorrowfully forego as in a manner their own lives if they should altogether at once be taken from the utopians no man there would think that he had lost the worth of one farthing they gather also pearls by the seaside and diamonds and carbuncles upon certain rocks and yet they seek not for them but by chance finding them they cut and polish them and therewith they deck their young infants which like as in the first years of their childhood they make much and be fond and proud of such ornaments so when they be a little more grown in years and discretion perceiving that none but children do wear such toys and trifles they lay them away even of their own shamefastness without any bidding of their parents even as our children when they wax big do cast away nuts brooches and puppets 
therefore these laws and customs which be so far different from all other nations how divers fantasies also and minds they do cause did i never so plainly perceive as in the ambassadors of the animolians these ambassadors came to amorot whilst i was there and because they came to entreat of great and weighty matters those three citizens apiece out of every city were come and thither before them but all the ambassadors of the next countries which had been there before and knew the fashions and manners of the utopians among whom they perceived no honour given to sumptuous apparel silks to be contemned gold also to be infamed and reproachful were wont to come thither in very homely and simple array but the animolians because they dwell far thence and had very little acquaintance with them hearing that they were all apparelled alike and that very rudely and homely thinking them not to have the things which they did not wear being therefore more proud than wise determined in the gorgeousness of their apparel to represent very gods and with the bright shining and glistering of their gay clothing to dazzle the eyes of the silly poor utopians so there came in three ambassadors with a hundred servants all apparelled in changeable colours the most of them in silks the ambassadors themselves for at home in their own country they were noblemen in cloth of gold with great chains of gold with gold hanging at their ears with gold rings upon their fingers with brooches and aglets of gold upon their caps which glistered full of pearls and precious stones to be short trimmed and adorned with all those things which among the utopians were either the punishment of bondmen or the reproach of infamed persons or else trifles for young children to play withal therefore it would have done a man good at his heart to have seen how proudly they displayed their peacock's feathers how much they made of their painted sheaths and how loftily they set forth and advanced themselves when they compared their gallant apparel with the poor raiment of the utopians for all the people were swarmed forth into the streets and on the other side it was no less pleasure to consider how much they were deceived and how far they missed of their purpose being contrary ways taken than they thought they should have been for to the eyes of all the utopians except very few which had been in other countries for some reasonable cause all that gorgeousness of apparel seemed shameful and reproachful insomuch that they most reverently saluted the vilest and most abject of them for lords passing over the ambassadors themselves without any honour judging them by their wearing of golden chains to be bondmen yea you should have seen children also that had cast away their pearls and precious stones when they saw the like sticking upon the ambassadors caps dig and push their mothers under the sides saying thus to them look mother how great a lover doth yet wear pearls and precious stones as though he were a little child still but the mother yea and that also in good earnest peace son saith she i think he be some of the ambassador's fools some found fault at their golden chains as to no use nor purpose 
being so small and weak that a bondman might easily break them and again so wide and large that when it pleased him he might cast them off and run away at liberty whither he would but when the ambassadors had been there a day or two and saw so great abundance of gold so lightly esteemed yea in no less reproach than it was with them in honour and besides that more gold in the chains and gyves of one fugitive bondman than all the costly ornaments of them three was worth they began to abate their courage and for very shame laid away all that gorgeous array whereof they were so proud and specially when they had talked familiarly with the utopians and had learned all their fashions and opinions for they marvel that any men be so foolish as to have delight and pleasure in the doubtful glistering of a little trifling stone which may behold any of the stars or else the sun itself or that any man is so mad as to count himself the nobler for the smaller or finer thread of wool which selfsame wool be it now in never so fine a spun thread a sheep did once wear and yet was she all that time no other thing than a sheep they marvel also that gold which of the own nature is a thing so unprofitable is now among all people in so high estimation that man himself by whom yea and for the use of whom it is so much set by is in much less estimation than the gold itself insomuch that a lumpish block-headed churl and which hath no more wit than an ass yea and as full of naughtiness as of folly shall have nevertheless many wise and good men in subjection and bondage only for this because he hath a great heap of gold which if it should be taken from him by any fortune or by some subtle wile and cautel of the law which no less than fortune doth both raise up the low and pluck down the high and be given to the most vile slave and abject drivel of all his household then shortly after he shall go into the service of his servant as an augmentation or overplus beside his money but they much more marvel at and detest the madness of them which to those rich men in whose debt and danger they be not do give almost divine honours for none other consideration but because they be rich and yet knowing them to be such niggish penny fathers that they be sure as long as they live not the worth of one farthing of that heap of gold shall come to them these and such like opinions have they conceived partly by education being brought up in that commonwealth whose laws and customs be far different from these kinds of folly and partly by good literature and learning for though there be not many in every city which be exempt and discharged of all other labours and appointed only to learning that is to say such in whom even from their very childhood they have perceived a singular towardness a fine wit and a mind apt to good learning yet all in their childhood be instruct in learning and the better part of the people both men and women throughout all their whole life do bestow in learning those spare hours which we said they have vacant from bodily labours they be taught learning in their own native tongue 
for it is both copious in words and also pleasant to the ear and for the utterance of a man's mind very perfect and sure the most part of all that side of the world useth the same language saving that among the utopians it is finest and purest and according to the diversity of the countries it is diversely altered of all these philosophers whose names be here famous in this part of the world to us known before our coming thither not as much as the fame of any of them was common among them and yet in music logic arithmetic and geometry they have found out in a manner all that our ancient philosophers have taught but as they in all things be almost equal to our old ancient clerks so our new logicians in subtle inventions have far passed and gone beyond them for they have not devised one of all those rules of restrictions amplifications and suppositions very wittily invented in the small logicals which here our children in every place do learn furthermore they were never yet able to find out the second intentions insomuch that none of them all could ever see man himself in common as they call him though he be as you know bigger than ever was any giant yea and pointed to of us even with our finger but they be in the course of the stars and the movings of the heavenly spheres very expert and cunning they have also wittily excogitated and devised instruments of divers fashions wherein is exactly comprehended and contained the movings and situations of the sun the moon and of all the other stars which appear in their horizon but as for the amities and dissensions of the planets and all that deceitful divination by the stars they never as much as dreamed thereof rains winds and other courses of tempests they know before by certain tokens which they have learned by long use and observation but of the causes of all these things and of the ebbing flowing and saltness of the sea and finally of the original beginning and nature of heaven and of the world they hold partly the same opinions that our old philosophers hold and partly as our philosophers vary among themselves so they also whilst they bring new reasons of things do disagree from all them and yet among themselves in all points they do not accord in that part of philosophy which entreateth of manners and virtue their reasons and opinions agree with ours they dispute of the good qualities of the soul of the body and of fortune and whether the name of goodness may be applied to all these or only to the endowments and gifts of the soul they reason of virtue and pleasure but the chief and principal question is in what thing be it one or more the felicity of man consisteth but in this point they seem almost too much given and inclined to the opinion of them which defend pleasure wherein they determine either all or the chiefest part of man's felicity to rest and which is more to be marvelled at the defence of this so dainty and delicate an opinion they fetch even from their grave sharp bitter and rigorous religion 
for they never dispute of felicity or blessedness but they join unto the reasons of philosophy certain principles taken out of religion without the which to the investigation of true felicity they think reason of itself weak and unperfect those principles be these and such like that the soul is immortal and by the bountiful goodness of god ordained to felicity that to our virtues and good deeds rewards be appointed after this life and to our evil deeds punishments though these be pertaining to religion yet they think it meet that they should be believed and granted by profess of reason but if these principles were condemned and disannulled then without any delay they pronounce no man to be so foolish which would not do all his diligence and endeavour to obtain pleasure by right or wrong only avoiding this inconvenience that the less pleasure should not be a let or hindrance to the bigger or that he laboured not for that pleasure which would bring after it displeasure grief and sorrow for they judge it extreme madness to follow sharp and painful virtue and not only to banish the pleasure of life but also willingly to suffer grief without any hope of profit thereof ensuing for what profit can there be if a man when he hath passed over all his life unpleasantly that is to say miserably shall have no reward after his death but now sir they think not felicity to rest in all pleasure but only in that pleasure that is good and honest and that here too as to perfect blessedness our nature is allured and drawn even of virtue whereto only they that be of the contrary opinion do attribute felicity for they define virtue to be life ordered according to nature and that we be hereunto ordained of god and that he doth follow the course of nature which in desiring and refusing things is ruled by reason furthermore that reason doth chiefly and principally kindle in men the love and veneration of the divine majesty of whose goodness it is that we be and that we be in possibility to attain felicity and that secondarily it both stirreth and provoketh us to lead our life out of care in joy and mirth and also moveth us to help and further all other in respect of the society of nature to obtain and enjoy the same for there was never man so earnest and painful a follower of virtue and hater of pleasure that would so enjoin you labours watchings and fastings but he would also exhort you to ease lighten and relieve to your power the lack and misery of others praising the same as a deed of humanity and pity then if it be a point of humanity for man to bring health and comfort to man and specially which is a virtue most peculiarly belonging to man to mitigate and assuage the grief of others and by taking from them the sorrow and heaviness of life to restore them to joy that is to say to pleasure why may it not then be said that nature doth provoke every man to do the same to himself for a joyful life that is to say a pleasant life is either evil 
and if it be so then thou shouldest not only help no man thereto but rather as much as in thee lieth withdraw men from it as noisome and hurtful or else if thou not only mayest but also of duty art bound to procure it to others why not chiefly to thyself to whom thou art bound to show as much favour and gentleness as to other for when nature biddeth thee to be good and gentle to other she commandeth thee not to be cruel and ungentle to thyself therefore even very nature say they prescribeth to us a joyful life that is to say pleasure as the end of all our operations and they define virtue to be life ordered according to the prescript of nature but in that that nature doth allure and provoke men one to help another to live merrily which surely she doth not without a good cause for no man is so far above the lot of man's state or condition that nature doth cark and care for him only which equally favoureth all that be comprehended under the communion of one shape form and fashion verily she commandeth thee to use diligent circumspection that thou do not so seek for thine own commodities that thou procure others in commodities wherefore their opinion is that not only covenants and bargains made among private men ought to be well and faithfully fulfilled observed and kept but also common laws which either a good prince hath justly published or else the people neither oppressed with tyranny neither deceived by fraud and guile hath by their common consent constituted and ratified concerning the partition of the commodities of life that is to say the matter of pleasure these laws not offended it is wisdom that thou look to thine own wealth and to do the same for the commonwealth is no less than thy duty if thou bearest any reverent love or any natural zeal and affection to thy native country but to go about to let another man of his pleasure whilst thou procurest thine own that is open wrong contrariwise to withdraw something from thyself to give to other that is a point of humanity and gentleness which never taketh away so much commodity as it bringeth again for it is recompensed with the return of benefits and the conscience of the good deed with the remembrance of the thankful love and benevolence of them to whom thou hast done it doth bring more pleasure to thy mind than that which thou hast withholden from thyself could have brought to thy body finally which to a godly disposed and a religious mind is easy to be persuaded god recompenseth the gift of a short and small pleasure with great and everlasting joy therefore the matter diligently weighed and considered thus they think that all our actions and in them the virtues themselves be referred at the last to pleasure as their end and felicity pleasure they call every motion and state of the body or mind wherein man hath naturally delectation appetite they join to nature and that not without a good cause for like as not only the senses but also right reason coveteth whatsoever is naturally pleasant for that it may be gotten without wrong or injury 
not letting or debarring a greater pleasure nor causing painful labour even so those things that men by vain imagination do feign against nature to be pleasant as though it lay in their power to change the things as they do the names of things all such pleasures they believe to be of so small help and furtherance to felicity that they count them a great let and hindrance because that in whom they have once taken place all his mind they possess with a false opinion of pleasure so that there is no place left for true and natural delectations for there be many things which of their own nature contain no pleasantness yea the most part of them much grief and sorrow and yet through the perverse and malicious flickering enticements of lewd and unhonest desires be taken not only for special and sovereign pleasures but also be counted among the chief causes of life in this counterfeit kind of pleasure they put them that i spake of before which the better gowns they have on the better men they think themselves in which thing they do twice err for they be no less deceived in that they think their gown the better than they be in that they think themselves the better for if you consider the profitable use of the garment why should wool of a finer spun thread be thought better than the wool of a coarse spun thread yet they as though the one did pass the other by nature and not by their mistaking advance themselves and think the price of their own persons thereby greatly increased and therefore the honour which in a coarse gown they durst not have looked for they require as it were of duty for their finer gown's sake and if they be passed by without reverence they take it displeasantly and disdainfully and again is it not a like madness to take a pride in vain and unprofitable honours for what natural or true pleasure dost thou take of another man's bare head or bowed knees will this ease the pain of thy knees or remedy the frenzy of thy head in this image of counterfeit pleasure they be of a marvellous madness which for the opinion of nobility rejoice much in their own conceit because it was their fortune to come of such ancestors whose stock of long time hath been counted rich for now nobility is nothing else specially rich in lands and though their ancestors left them not one foot of land or else they themselves have pissed it against the walls yet they think themselves not the less noble therefore of one hair in this number also they count them that take pleasure and delight as i said in gems and precious stones and think themselves almost gods if they chance to get an excellent one specially of that kind which in that time of their own countrymen is had in highest estimation for one kind of stone keepeth not his price still in all countries and at all times nor they buy them not but taken out of the gold and bare no nor so neither until they have made the seller to swear that he will warrant and assure it to be a true stone and no counterfeit gem such care they take lest a counterfeit stone should deceive their eyes instead of a right stone but why shouldest thou not take even as much pleasure in beholding a counterfeit stone which thine eye cannot discern from a right stone 
they should both be of like value to thee even as to the blind man what shall i say of them that keep superfluous riches to take delectation only in the beholding and not in the use or occupying thereof do they take true pleasure or else be they deceived with false pleasure or of them that be in a contrary vice hiding the gold which they shall never occupy nor peradventure never see more and whilst they take care lest they should lose it do lose it indeed for what is it else when they hide it in the ground taking it both from their own use and perchance from all other men's also and yet thou when thou hast hid thy treasure as one out of all care hoppest for joy the which treasure if it should chance to be stolen and thou ignorant of the theft shouldst die ten years after all that ten years space that thou livedst after thy money was stolen what matter was it to thee whether it had been taken away or else safe as thou leftest it truly both ways like profit came to thee to these so foolish pleasures they join dicers whose madness they know by hearsay and not by use hunters also and hawkers for what pleasure is there say they in casting the dice upon a table which thou hast done so often that if there were any pleasure in it yet the oft use might make thee weary thereof or what delight can there be and not rather displeasure in hearing the barking and howling of dogs or what greater pleasure is there to be felt when a dog followeth an hare than when a dog followeth a dog for one thing is done in both that is to say running if thou hast pleasure therein but if the hope of slaughter and the expectation of tearing in pieces the beast doth please thee thou shouldest rather be moved with pity to see a seely innocent hare murdered of a dog the weak of the stronger the fearful of the fierce the innocent of the cruel and unmerciful therefore all this exercise of hunting as a thing unworthy to be used of free men the utopians have rejected to their butchers to the which craft as we said before they appoint their bondmen for they count hunting the lowest the vilest and most abject part of butchery and the other parts of it more profitable and more honest as bringing much more commodity in that they kill beasts only for necessity whereas the hunter seeketh nothing but pleasure of the seely and woeful beast's slaughter and murder the which pleasure in beholding death they think doth rise in the very beasts either of a cruel affection of mind or else to be changed in continuance of time into cruelty by long use of so cruel a pleasure these therefore and all such like which be innumerable though the common sort of people doth take them for pleasures yet they seeing there is no natural pleasantness in them do plainly determine them to have no affinity with true and right pleasure for as touching that they do commonly move the sense with delectation which seemeth to be a work of pleasure this doth nothing diminish their opinion for not the nature of the thing but their perverse and lewd custom is the cause hereof which causeth them to accept bitter or sour things for sweet things 
even as women with child in their vitiate and corrupt taste think pitch and tallow sweeter than any honey howbeit no man's judgment depraved and corrupt either by sickness or by custom can change the nature of pleasure more than it can do the nature of other things they make divers kinds of pleasures for some they attribute to the soul and some to the body to the soul they give intelligence and that delectation that cometh of the contemplation of truth hereunto is joined the pleasant remembrance of the good life past the pleasure of the body they divide into two parts the first is when delectation is sensibly felt and perceived which many times chanceth by the renewing and refreshing of those parts which our natural heat drieth up this cometh by meat and drink and sometimes whilst those things be expulsed and voided whereof is in the body over great abundance this pleasure is felt when we do our natural easement or when we be doing the act of generation or when the itching of any part is eased with rubbing or scratching sometimes pleasure riseth exhibiting to any member nothing that it desireth nor taking from it any pain that it feeleth which nevertheless tickleth and moveth our senses with a certain secret efficacy but with a manifest motion turneth them to it as is that which cometh of music the second part of bodily pleasure they say is that which consisteth and resteth in the quiet and upright state of the body and that truly is every man's own proper health intermingled and disturbed with no grief for this if it not be letted nor assaulted with no grief is delectable of itself though it be moved with no external or outward pleasure for though it be not so plain and manifest to the sense as the greedy lust of eating and drinking yet nevertheless many take it for the chiefest pleasure all the utopians grant it to be a right sovereign pleasure and as you would say the foundation and ground of all pleasures as which even alone is able to make the state and condition of life delectable and pleasant and it being once taken away there is no place left for any pleasure for to be without grief not having health that they call unsensibility and not pleasure the utopians have long ago rejected and condemned the opinion of them which said that steadfast and quiet health for this question also hath been diligently debated among them ought not therefore to be counted a pleasure because they say it cannot be presently and sensibly perceived and felt by some outward motion but of the contrary part now they agree almost all in this that health is a most sovereign pleasure for seeing that in sickness say they is grief which is a mortal enemy to pleasure even as sickness is to health why should not then pleasure be in the quietness of health for they say it maketh nothing to this matter whether you say that sickness is a grief or that in sickness is grief for all cometh to one purpose for whether health be a pleasure itself or a necessary cause of pleasure as fire is of heat truly both ways it followeth that they cannot be without pleasure that be in perfect health 
furthermore whiles we eat say they then health which began to be appaired fighteth by the help of food against hunger in the which fight whiles health by little and little getteth the upper hand that same proceeding and as ye would say that onwardness to the wont strength ministereth that pleasure whereby we be so refreshed health therefore which in the conflict is joyful shall it not be merry when it hath gotten the victory but as soon as it hath recovered the pristinate strength which thing only in all the fight it coveted shall it incontinent be astonied nor shall it not know nor embrace the own wealth and goodness for where it is said health cannot be felt this they think is nothing true for what man waking say they feeleth not himself in health but he that is not is there any man so possessed with stonish insensibility or with lethargy that is to say the sleeping sickness that he will not grant health to be acceptable to him and delectable but what other thing is delectation than that which by another name is called pleasure they embrace chiefly the pleasures of the mind for them they count the chiefest and most principal of all the chief part of them they think doth come of the exercise of virtue and conscience of good life of these pleasures that the body ministereth they give the preeminence to health for the delight of eating and drinking and whatsoever hath any like pleasantness they determine to be pleasures much to be desired but no other ways than for health's sake for such things of their own proper nature be not so pleasant but in that they resist sickness privily stealing on therefore like as it is a wise man's part rather to avoid sickness than to wish for medicines and rather to drive away and put to flight careful griefs than to call for comfort so it is much better not to need this kind of pleasure than thereby to be eased of the contrary grief the which kind of pleasure if any man take for his felicity that man must needs grant that then he shall be in most felicity if he live that life which is led in continual hunger thirst itching eating drinking scratching and rubbing the which life how not only foul and unhonest but also how miserable and wretched it is who perceiveth not these doubtless be the basest pleasures of all as unpure and unperfect for they never come but accompanied with their contrary griefs as with the pleasure of eating is joined hunger and that after no very equal sort for of these too the grief is both the more vehement and also of longer continuance for it beginneth before the pleasure and endeth not until the pleasure die with it wherefore such pleasures they think not greatly to be set by but in that they be necessary howbeit they have delight also in these and thankfully knowledge that tender love of mother nature which with most pleasant delectation allureth her children to that to the necessary use whereof they must from time to time continually be forced and driven 
for how wretched and miserable should our life be if these daily griefs of hunger and thirst could not be driven away but with bitter potions and sour medicines as the other diseases be wherewith we be seldomer troubled but beauty strength nimbleness these as peculiar and pleasant gifts of nature they make much of but those pleasures that be received by the ears the eyes and the nose which nature willeth to be proper and peculiar to man for no other living creature doth behold the fairness and the beauty of the world or is moved with any respect of favours but only for the diversity of meats neither perceiveth the concordant and discordant distances of sounds and tunes these pleasures i say they accept and allow as certain pleasant rejoicings of life but in all things this cautel they use that a less pleasure hinder not a bigger and that the pleasure be no cause of displeasure which they think to follow of necessity if the pleasure be unhonest but yet to despise the comeliness of beauty to waste the bodily strength to turn nimbleness into sluggishness to consume and make feeble the body with fasting to do injury to health and to reject the pleasant motions of nature unless a man neglects these commodities whilst he doth with a fervent zeal procure the wealth of others or the common profit for the which pleasure forborne he is in hope of a greater pleasure at god's hand else for a vain shadow of virtue for the wealth and profit of no man to punish himself or to the intent he may be able courageously to suffer adversity which perchance shall never come to him this to do they think it a point of extreme madness and a token of a man cruelly minded towards himself and unkind towards nature as one so disdaining to be in her danger that he renounceth and refuseth all her benefits this is their sentence and opinion of virtue and pleasure and they believe that by man's reason none can be found truer than this unless any godlier be inspired into man from heaven wherein whether they believe well or no neither the time doth suffer us to discuss neither it is now necessary for we have taken upon us to show and declare their laws and ordinances and not to defend them but this thing i believe verily howsoever these decrees be that there is no place of the world neither a more excellent people neither a more flourishing commonwealth they be light and quick of body full of activity and nimbleness and of more strength than a man would judge them by their stature which for all that is not too low and though their soil be not very fruitful nor their air very wholesome yet against the air they so defend them with temperate diet and so order and husband their ground with diligent travail that in no country is greater increase and plenty of corn and cattle nor men's bodies of longer life and subject or apt to fewer diseases there therefore a man may see well and diligently exploited and furnished not only those things which husbandmen do commonly in other countries as by craft and cunning to remedy the barrenness of the ground 
but also a whole wood by the hands of the people plucked up by the roots in one place and set again in another place wherein was had regard and consideration not of plenty but of commodious carriage that wood and timber might be nigher to the sea or the rivers or the cities for it is less labour and business to carry grain far by land than wood the people be gentle merry quick and fine-witted delighting in quietness and when need requireth able to abide and suffer much bodily labour else they be not greatly desirous and fond of it but in the exercise and study of the mind they be never weary when they had heard me speak of the greek literature or learning for in latin there was nothing that i thought they would greatly allow besides historians and poets they made wonderful earnest and importunate suit unto me that i would teach and instruct them in that tongue and learning i began therefore to read unto them at the first truly more because i would not seem to refuse the labour than that i hoped that they would anything profit therein but when i had gone forward a little i perceived incontinent by their diligence that my labour should not be bestowed in vain for they began so easily to fashion their letters so plainly to pronounce the words so quickly to learn by heart and so surely to rehearse the same that i marvelled at it saving that the most part of them were fine and chosen wits and of ripe age picked out of the company of the learned men which not only of their own free and voluntary will but also by the commandment of the council undertook to learn this language therefore in less than three years space there was nothing in the greek tongue that they lacked they were able to read good authors without any stay if the books were not false this kind of learning as i suppose they took so much the sooner because it is somewhat alliant to them for i think that this nation took their beginning of the greeks because their speech which in all other points is not much unlike the persian tongue keepeth divers signs and tokens of the greek language in the names of their cities and of their magistrates they have of me for when i was determined to enter into my fourth voyage i cast into the ship instead of merchandise a pretty fardel of books because i intended to come again rather never than shortly they have i say of me the most part of plato's works more of aristotle's also theophrastus of plants but in divers places which i am sorry for unperfect for whilst we were a shipboard a marmoset chanced upon the book as it was negligently laid by which wantonly playing therewith plucked out certain leaves and tore them in pieces of them that have written the grammar they have only lascaris for theodorus i carried not with me nor never a dictionary but hezekius and dioscorides they set great store by plutarch's books and they be delighted with lucian's merry conceits and jests of the poets they have aristophanes homer euripides and sophocles in aldous small print of the historians they have thucydides herodotus and herodian also my companion tricius apinatus carried with him physic books certain small works of hippocrates and galini's microtechni the which book they have in great estimation 
for though there be almost no nation under heaven that hath less need of physic than they yet this notwithstanding physic is nowhere in greater honour because they count the knowledge of it among the goodliest and most profitable parts of philosophy for whilst they by the help of this philosophy search out the secret mysteries of nature they think themselves to receive thereby not only wonderful great pleasure but also to obtain great thanks and favour of the author and maker thereof whom they think according to the fashion of other artificers to have set forth the marvellous and gorgeous frame of the world for man with great affection intentively to behold whom only he hath made of wit and capacity to consider and understand the excellency of so great a work and therefore he beareth say they more good-will and love to the curious and diligent beholder and viewer of his work and marveller at the same than he doth to him which like a very brute beast without wit and reason or as one without sense or moving hath no regard to so great and so wonderful a spectacle the wits therefore of the utopians inured and exercised in learning be marvellous quick in the invention of feats helping anything to the advantage and wealth of life howbeit two feats they may thank us for that is the science of imprinting and the craft of making paper and yet not only us but chiefly and principally themselves for when we showed to them aldous his print in books of paper and told them of the stuff whereof paper is made and of the feat of graving letters speaking somewhat more than we could plainly declare for there was none of us that knew perfectly either the one or the other they forthwith very wittily conjectured the thing and whereas before they wrote only in skins in barks of trees and in reeds now they have attempted to make paper and to imprint letters and though at the first it proved not all of the best yet by often assaying the same they shortly got the feet of both and have so brought the matter about that if they had copies of greek authors they could lack no books but now they have no more than i rehearsed before saving that by printing of books they have multiplied and increased the same into many thousands of copies whosoever cometh thither to see the land being excellent in any gift of wit or through much and long journeying well experienced and seen in the knowledge of many countries for the which cause we were very welcome to them him they receive and entertain wondrous gently and lovingly for they have delight to hear what is done in every land howbeit very few merchantmen come thither for what should they bring thither unless it were iron or else gold and silver which they had rather carry home again also such things as are to be carried out of their land they think it more wisdom to carry that gear forth themselves than that other should come thither to fetch it to the intent they may the better know the outlands on every side of them and keep in your the feet and knowledge of sailing end of section nine